I still hear we support women. I hear fire chiefs tell me, oh, it's going to get better. I have had fire chiefs tell me to be patient. I still have chiefs tell me that. And I'm going to call them on that because it's ridiculous to still have to be patient when we talk about this topic. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. I'm detecting an odd trend in the fire service lately. While women still make up just about 5% of firefighters, the number who make chiefs seem to be growing disproportionately. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but why, with these strong role models, are we having trouble recruiting women to join the fire service in the first place? Here to help answer that today is Cheryl Horbath. She's the chief of the Tubac, Arizona Fire Department. She's a past president of the International Association of Women in Fire and Emergency Services, and she served on the International Association of Fire Chiefs FRI Program Planning Committee. Cheryl served as an instructor with the Illinois Fire Service Institute for 15 years. And Cheryl Horvath joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. How would you assess the current state of women in the fire service? Well, I think it's not going up. It's not going down. We are kind of at a neutral point, if you will. I I think even though there's a sense that there's maybe more women coming in, we're also losing a lot of the women that started in the service 25 or 30 years ago. So I, I don't think we've gained any traction, frankly, in all the years that we've talked about increasing the numbers of women. I think it's just equalized out over the years. So The numbers are still not where they need to be. Um, You know, women in the fire service did a study back in the mid-2000s looking at how many women, you know, what was kind of the target range we were going for. And at the time, we came up with 17%. 17% was like the average of women in other non-traditional occupations, including the construction industry and the military. And so, you know, it wasn't like we want to be half and half. It was like, let's even just try to go for 17%. And at that time in 2008, when the report was released, we determined that given the rate of growth at the time, it would take us 72 years. And since that growth really hasn't gone up exponentially, we still have 72 years to go, from my perspective, to just get to that 17% mark. So I don't think it's improved. I just think it's kind of equalized out. Why is it that we seem to have more and more female fire chiefs like yourself, but the effort to recruit more women as firefighters as a whole is still having a tough time? Well, I think you only have about 50 women fire chiefs around the country. Out of the 26,000 fire departments, I don't know how what the stats are on fire departments, but there's only like 50 women chiefs around the country. 
So again, I, I think there's more visibility. I think you're seeing and hearing more about women in chief officer position and women as fire chiefs. But again, if you look at the stats, it's not reflective of this surge of women fire chiefs across the country. I would argue for every uh, woman chief who's been promoted to five bugles, we're losing some of our pioneering women as chief officers as well. So I, I don't see a remarkable increase really in, in any of those categories. You sound justifiably frustrated with that situation. Why is it that we're having such a difficult time finding women who want to be firefighters? I think it's twofold. I don't know that we're having a hard time finding women that want to be firefighters. I know there's chiefs around the country that don't have as many women apply for jobs as they'd like to have. Um, so I think the occupation's still seen as very traditional. Uh, so, so yeah, there's some challenges in growing those numbers, but you know, we're doing girls fire camps around the country like crazy, and it's growing more and more every year. We're seeing girls enroll in those programs. We're seeing girls enroll in the occupational programs that are offered in the high schools now, the technical uh, education classes for fire science and that type of thing. So there are programs like Camp Fury. There are programs in the high schools. Have these been around long enough so that we can tell how effective they are yet, or is it still too early? Well, I think that's the challenge. I think that um, I don't think we have data on whether how many of those. Well, I know I don't have the data. I haven't seen anything on how many of those students are going from a high school technical education program into a college uh, fire science two-year degree program. I know our numbers are growing in all those areas, but I don't know the effect that one of those programs has on the other. But the reality is the numbers are up when it comes to young women going into fire science programs, participating in camp programs. So you know, I, I, personally, I think it's only a matter of time before we create this kind of collective surge, if you will, of, of eventually that transmitting into more women applying for positions. You know, I, I still think we have to do a lot more work on the recruiting side, personalized recruiting, one-on-one recruiting, diverse recruiting, really marketing our jobs and getting the word out there. And I think we have to have candid conversations with fire chiefs who still are hesitant to bring women on. Um, I, you know, so I think there's a multiple, there's multiple reasons why we're not seeing the influx of women. I don't think it's necessarily one versus another. I just think, you know, we, when we look at recruiting, we have to look at, we have to look at it from a number of perspectives, not only what we can do to assist the individual in acquiring the positions, but maybe organizationally those things, those changes that need to be made as well. From your perspective, have you seen an attitudinal change among male firefighters? There was a time when, of course, women were seen as being allowed to be firefighters. Now now they pass the same physicals, they deserve it, but do you see the attitudinal change among men? You know, I, <laughs> that's a tough question for me to answer. I mean, I, I went to the last uh, conference for the International Association of Women in Fire and Emergency Services. I sat in on a session with the, the two battalion chiefs from Fairfax County who had filed the EEOC complaint. The room was packed. There had to be easily 80 to 100 people in the room, women and men, and I heard a lot of complaints from the women about the comments that are made to them, kind of the covert discrimination that they have to deal with. Walking out of that room, I felt like it was still as bad as it's always been, but yet 
When I look at other departments, you know, my own and others, I haven't seen that real direct discrimination. So I, I can't say I've seen it a lot, but it's still out there. If I'm listening to what other women around the country are saying, frankly, and around the world, because that's an international conference. So, so I'd have to say, yes, there still is those, uh, though there still are those men out there that are not accepting. And, and I would say, you know, it, it's gone beyond the need to accept it's, it's to embrace and to lead the charge to bring women in that. And so I think that's where the disconnect is that, you know, I still hear we support women. I hear fire chiefs tell me, oh, it's going to get better. And I say to them, women have been in the service for almost 50 years. I mean, you know, I have had fire chiefs tell me to be patient. I still have chiefs tell me that. And I'm like, and I'm going to call them on that because it's ridiculous to still have to be patient when we talk about this topic. So it's my sense is it's bad out there for some women in some areas. And yet there's other parts of the country where women are embraced and supported, and encouraged and being promoted into leadership positions. So I, I think you see it kind of all over the place. I'll be back with more right after this. On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com. There's an upcoming conference on what's being called firemanship, and there's a magazine called The Art of Firemanship. That term has just seemed to become fairly popular recently. Do you see that as a sort of a backlash, if that's the right word, against the term firefighter, and then as a result of that, a backlash against women in the fire service? Well, you know, to me, words mean something. Um, I don't know that I interpret it as a backlash necessarily, but I do. When I talk to my daughter about situations like that, all she'll say to me is, why can't the language be more inclusive? When she hears the term fireman, she doesn't think that relates to me. When she hears the word brotherhood, she doesn't think that relates to me. So to me, words mean something. And so the resistance to change you could say it's a backlash. Maybe it's just fear of change and just not wanting to move forward. You know, I, I don't know, but I will tell you, I don't support those types of organizations. I don't support that type of language. I just think we're past it. And I, I think as women, we have to stand up for that. And I've been pretty vocal about that on social media. I, I, I hear a lot of women say, you know, oh, it's okay. They accept us as one of us, one of them, that type of thing. And I'm like, you know what? I want to be accepted for who I am, not because I'm like them. And we have to get away from this. You know, we can be part of the brotherhood. I used to get into some uh, pretty interesting discussions with some previous coworkers who were battalion chiefs like me. And I remember one of them saying to me, you know, it's okay. It's okay. If we call you brother, it's a term of endearment. And I said to him, well, then it's okay if I call you sister, why can't we call it the sisterhood and you're my sister. And his face immediately changed. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, can you see how that feels? Right. You're not a sister. You're a brother to me. I'm a sister to you. So why is it? Why can't we bridge that gap and, and really start to use the correct terminology? 
you know, I, like I said, I'm not going to call it backlash, but I'm going to say if you really value having women in the fire service, it shouldn't be that big of a deal to change the words we use. To some extent, the resistance against women in the fire service is worst or strongest, let's say, in the more established departments. I've heard a lot more complaints from women who are in larger departments, but the flip side of that is there's a lot of women who are who are now getting hired, not a lot, there's women who are getting hired on these smaller departments, they're the first woman. And so they have to, you know, kind of pave the way. So, but I think when it comes to the attitude towards women, I think my perception is the issue is worse with larger departments. There's some progressive large departments and metro-sized departments, but then there's others that definitely are not. So I think size does have a little bit of an impact. I can't I can't generalize because every time I say something like that, somebody's going to call me on it and say, well, I work for a large department and they're not like that. Or they'll say, I work for a small department and I get discriminated against all the time. But my sense is that in listening to the women who were in that room at the iWomen conference, most of them worked for a larger department. It wasn't East Coast, West Coast. I'd like to think the West Coast is more progressive, but to be honest with you, as a chief working out here the last 12 years, I've seen plenty of discrimination. I've seen it at the highest levels. And so I, I don't know that I would say the West Coast is that much better than the rest of the country. I, I think we're fooling ourselves when we say those things. I would say across the board, we've still got some issues. It's better. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it's definitely still out there. So here's a really dumb question. How do we fix this problem? Well, first of all, I don't think it's a dumb question. I think it's a great question. I think it's one we need to continue to ask ourselves. I look at leadership as as really wanting to make the change. So speaking from my perspective, you know, if I want a certain culture change in my department or, you know, I, I think there needs to be a certain change in my department, it's really incumbent upon me to create the pathway to success in that situation, whether it's I want to be a more learning culture, I want to be a more safety con I want to have a more safety conscious culture, whatever the case may be. So I think anytime you're looking at an issue like diversity, it's really about culture change. We all know that and we we really need to learn to embrace that. And I think the the first students in the class, so to speak, should be the chiefs. I think it's the chiefs who need to become more educated about how we create diverse cultures. I think we have to reach outside of the fire service as much as we possibly can to get those solutions and to bring those people on that can really help us to solve this problem. I think we need to look at the job, and, and I don't think that every fire department across the country, every firefighter position is the same. I will tell you that in my particular situation and in most of the situations I've been out here since I moved out here to Arizona, we don't fight a lot of fire. That's not necessarily true with other departments, but for the ones I've worked for, it's not like we have working fires every single day. Yet the job analysis and the job testing process really seems to focus on fighting fire. And so, you know, I would argue that we need to take a look at how we bring our people on and how we, what, what are the hiring processes. You know, physical fitness, absolutely our folks have to be physically fit. Our chief officers need to be physically fit. Everybody needs to be in good shape, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I think we need to take a look at what are the requirements of the position and how are we going to do it. The CPAT test was developed 20, 25 years ago. 
It was a model that was created by the 10 largest metro-sized departments in the country. I'm a department of 30 people. I don't need to have my people go through a CPAT. It's not the same type of job. So I think we have to be more courageous in some of our hiring decisions, and I think we have to be more courageous in our leadership style to ensure that we're creating the kind of cultures in our organizations that support the community. Not that support an old traditional culture, but that really support and serve the community. All right, Cheryl Horvath, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Okay, thanks, Scott. And we put some more information on the efforts to bring women into the fire service on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash diversity. Check it out. Are you ready for your trivia question? This one's unusual. In the episode of the TV series Emergency, titled Hang Up, Johnny Gage tries desperately to find out how an episode of what popular television series ended. I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com slash support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the Bull Sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Here's the trivia answer. Johnny Gage wanted to know what happened to Officers Reed and Malloy from Adam-12. Now, here's a weird continuity fact. Reed and Malloy were supposedly two fictional TV cops on the show, but they'd already appeared in an earlier episode of Emergency as actual police officers. So were they actors or real? We weren't supposed to notice that. A lot of TV back then made no logical sense. Alright, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.